that you would uh, give us grace. Help us to hear your word. Um, I pray that you'd be with me and help me to speak your word faithfully and, and um, with clarity and, and um, let it be uh, your words coming out of my mouth and, and not mine. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Um, so we are on the last week of uh, Luke Presents the Greatest Hits of Christmas. Um, for those of y'all who maybe um, were, were out of town in previous weeks, what we're looking at in the first two chapters of the book of Luke, um, Luke includes four songs um, where, where literally the story's going on and then all of a sudden they stop and they sing a song and then the story keeps, keeps going. It's, it's like watching West Side Story only like in ancient Israel and the sharks and the jets aren't there, I guess. And Anyway, so it's not like West Side Story, but it is a musical. <laughs> the... Um, as we look at this, we're looking at, first off, the reasons why they're there. I'm, I'm going to touch on the background here. Um, Luke, um, these four songs in the narrative, I'm going to skip around here. They're there, because, um, they're there because the early church sang these songs. And Luke includes them so they get an idea of where these came from and what the purpose of them is. We're looking at the last one. This is Simeon, a fellow named Simeon, who doesn't get a lot of press in Christmas era or Christmas time. We don't talk about him that much. But Simeon... Um, wrote the last of Luke's Christmas songs. Um, and it's, it's actually probably the strongest one and the toughest one to deal with in the end. Um, and so we're looking at that. The, the folks who are reading this, who Luke is writing to, are Gentiles. These are folks, some of them may have been like, like um, God-fearers, folks who had converted to Judaism, right? But like weren't completely Jewish. I don't want to get into it. Um, but they were almost Jewish. And then they said, well, we can become Christians. They became Christians. Um, some of them were people who were pagans and became Christians, but they would sing these songs in church on Sunday. And um, so Luke is creating some connection there. But the other thing is that, that like, it brings out little interesting nuances to the, to the story, especially in this one, um, because these are folks who are not Jewish. Again, not Jewish. It's a big important thing to remember. Um, this story we're looking at takes place about a week after Jesus was born. Okay? So... Jesus is born. Last week we talked about the shepherd showing up and the shepherds like witnessing, you know, the, the newborn king. And then a week goes by and this happens. And so um, we're going to come back to this. The other thing with, with Israel, ancient Israel had very, very, very strict rules about babies, right? Um, when a baby was born, um, a woman would wait seven days before she was allowed to like get up and around. Like there was a, a rule about cleanliness, it's kind of complicated, but like at seven days they would make an offering to God like to make themselves clean, like ritually clean. It's not like taking a bath. It's a little more like um, ritually clean. Ritually clean would be like uh, if I handled a dead body, I would have to wash myself a certain way before I was able to go into the temple. I'd have to wait three days and wash myself. This is kind of the same way, only not with dead bodies. It's a more positive thing. Um, they would wait a certain number of days. I'm not feeling well today. Um, <laughs> they would wait a certain number of days. And at that point, they would go and they would offer, um, offer sacrifices at the temple, which is actually where we start, um, Luke 2.21, 2.24. Um, and when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Okay, the other thing is, at eight days, you named the child, right? And you circumcised him. The reason you did that was circumcision was like a sign that you were a part of God's family, right? It was like, um, 
like baseball cards, like some baseball cards come with a little foil seal so you can't fake them, right? And that little foil seal shows that you're part of the Topps family or whatever, you know, baseball card family or um, what have you. It was like a seal that you got. And so on the eighth day, you would get your circumcision if you were a boy, and it was a sign that you were now a part of God's covenant. And you got your name, and the name oftentimes carried huge significance for who you were in God's family. Like names were a really big deal. Nowadays, we, you know, sometimes we do that. We name after family. We name after all sorts of other things. Um, sometimes we name after things that sound good. Sometimes we, you know, name our kids after the Jello package, which is weird, um, but it does happen. Um, in this culture, names are huge, and so that he was named Jesus. First off, not named after Joseph, which would have been kind of something noticeable, but Jesus was a reference to salvation. Um, so the eighth day, they take him to the temple, which is in Jerusalem. So they travel from Bethlehem to Jerusalem. This is a long trip, like 40 miles, on you know donkeys or whatever. They get there, they do their sacrifice. Um, or they, they do the, the circumcision and they name him. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the temple of the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of two turtle doves or, or a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. This is really thick. I'm sorry. This is a, a, a rough opening. Um, let me explain this. There's a certain number of days after the circumcision, you would go to the temple and you would sacrifice something, right? In this case, it was two turtle doves. By the way, isn't that kind of funny? Two turtle doves and a partridge in a pear tree. Um, I looked it up. There's no connection. How crazy is that? <laughs> Just random chance. Um, <laughs> but... Um, so they go there and they offer their sacrifice. By the way, this tells us something really important. Mary and Joseph were dirt poor, right? Because there were things you, you know, if you were rich, you had to offer a certain sacrifice. If you were sort of poor, you offered a different sacrifice. If you were dirt poor, you offered turtle doves or pigeons, right? Like, because you could just go out and catch them. Um, it wasn't the sort of thing that, you know, like a, like a, a lamb where you might eat it or you might raise it for money. You know, pigeons, they're pigeons, right? You just go out and catch them. It's like catching rats. I mean, they're, they're gross. And you, but you would offer these things as a sacrifice. One was for Mary, and one was for Jesus. And so they've done their sacrifice. They're in the capital, in the temple, um, lots of people around, and they encounter um, a man named Simeon. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Um, now, what's going on here is Simeon is like um, he's like a like a prophet. His job is to go to the temple every day and to talk about Jesus, or not Jesus, talk about God. And he would tell people things in God's name. Now, um, prophets sometimes they would say, "Well, here's what's going to happen in 30 years." You know, you have guys like Isaiah who tells the name Cyrus, and Cyrus shows up and, like, wins a battle. He called it by name, like, 70 years before it happened. Most prophets didn't do that. Most prophets, if you met a prophet, they would look at you and they would say, here's what you're doing wrong, and this is how you need to get right before God. I mean, like, they were very tough guys. And so Simeon, being a prophet, he'd show up every day, and he would hang out, and he would, he would wait because the Holy Spirit had said, Buddy, you're going to be here when the Christ shows up. 
Now, the Christ is, is sort of a funny word. It basically means the same thing as Messiah. Messiah is somebody who's been anointed by God, like they've, God's picked him out for a special job. Everybody with me? Like, and, and so like, like there are other people who are anointed people. At this point in history, for about 200 years, 300 years, the Jews had been waiting for God to send somebody to kick the butt of everybody who was their enemy, right? Because they had had conquering and beating and you know destruction and everything else. In fact, actually, Israel, for a little while, there, there's about 300 years, 400 years beforehand, where um, one of the countries that controlled Israel, they marched through on the way to Egypt to fight a battle. And when they got there, they were humiliated. And they turned around and destroyed Jerusalem because they were mad. Like, that was it. They marched back and said, all right, we're going to burn this city down because we just had a bad day over here in Egypt. No reason other than that. And that was kind of the way things went for Israel for a long time. People had trouble farming. They had trouble living. They would just come through and sack the country for the heck of it. And eventually they ended up under control of Rome. And Rome is running the show, and they're doing all sorts of things the Jews don't like. And they start saying, God, are you going to send someone to save us? Are you going to send someone to fix this? And the Messiah, this Christ, by the way, Christ is the same word, it's just in Greek instead of Hebrew. Um, this Messiah, this chosen one from God, they've been talking about him for hundreds of years. In fact, most of the song that, that is sung here was written um, like 700 years before this happened. Um, like 700 years. Can you even think of anything in this country that's 700 years old? Nothing, right? I mean, nothing. 700 years is a long time. Um, so, but these people have been looking for God to save them for quite a while. They've been saying, God, where's your person? Where's your person? Where's your person? A lot of them thought it would be a military man or a king or a soldier. In fact, Herod, who was the king at the time, and actually murdered children trying to kill Jesus and murdered most of his own kids and killed his wife and a whole bunch of other things, some people thought, well, he was the Messiah because... He kept us safe for a little while. I mean, these guys were desperate. They were looking for anything. And along comes Simeon. And Simeon's been told by God, you're going to live to see it. It's coming. It's going to happen in your lifetime. It's not a small thing, right? Like, this guy's lucky. And so he shows up at the temple every day and waits. Anybody ever wait for something in the mail? You know, when you, you go out and you check the mailbox every day, like, is it here? Is it here? Is it here? That's Simeon. He's showing up at the temple every day and waiting. Come on, I know it's coming. Where is it? Where is it? And along come Mary and Joseph. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said... So they come in. He doesn't have an official job there. He's not dedicating this. They show up to do the dedication, the, the sacrifice. Simeon steps up and takes the baby, right? And he, like, blesses them, and he praises God, and he says, he sings a song, right? He literally breaks out into something that has become a song in the church after this. Um, a couple of things on this. First off, if you want to really learn about this song in a way that's, like, heavy and chunky, Isaiah 40 to 66, because what Simeon did was he went through this book and he found bits and pieces that talk about God's coming Messiah, right? And these bits and pieces, he puts them together as a song. Um, sometimes when we sing songs in church, we sing like psalms, 
you can go and look in the Bible, and it's like, hey, wait a minute, I remember singing this. It's like that. Um, so all of this is out of 40 and 66, specifically 45, 42.6. There's a couple of lines in here I'm going to touch on. This is all um, things like, and I will anoint you as a covenant to my people and as a light to the nations. Or 49.6, which is, I will also make you a light of the nations so that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Or 61, arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Um, Simeon took bits and pieces of all of these passages and stitched them together and made a song for us. Um, And that's what he does. He sings this song. He throws it out there um, because he's been waiting for it, right? Anybody, sometimes Abby gets excited when stuff happens and she'll sing. I mean, it's kind of the coolest thing that she started doing. Like, she'll get excited and she'll start singing about something that she's happy about. This is Simeon. He's like a, he's like a kid at Christmas, right? Like, the baby shows up, he recognizes what it is, and he breaks out in a song. It's like, it's here. It's coming. It's now. Um, the other thing is, um, because he picked this, it gives us a, an image of how to understand Jesus, Right? We understand Jesus in light of what Isaiah said about him. Isaiah does not talk about a king who shows up and burns down the enemy's houses. He talks about a servant who suffers. He talks about a servant who is rejected by his people. He talks about him being pierced for our transgressions. He talks about him, um, by his stripes we are healed. Like meaning, referring to the whipping that that Christ received. Like, Like he talks about a Messiah that's not a conquering warrior, but a suffering servant. And so as we look at what he puts out for us, the song that he puts out for us, um, we can pick this out, that this is a part of who. The other thing in all of these verses is he talks about this universal thing, right? It's not just the Jews, it's everyone. It's, it's Jeremy, right? It's, caught you sleeping. Um, <laughs> it's it's um, Adam, it's, it's all of us. It's not just people who are born in the right families. It's not people who are just Jewish. It's not people who are, you know, have managed to be good their entire lives and are perfect. It's everyone. And that's a huge deal. Um, because the Jews didn't really think that was the case. They thought that they were the only ones that God cared about. They were God's chosen people. They were the ones God picked. And Simeon gives us a little more than that. He says, listen, everybody's welcome. Um, last thing, and this is a quick aside. We see images of God in the temple three times in the Bible, right? When they built the temple, they first built this thing. It's the first temple God ever has. Everybody leaves, and the glory of the Lord fills the place, and it lights up like a Christmas tree, like because God literally shines out of it, right? And they sing songs about it for years and years and years and years. Isaiah goes into the temple, and he sees God on his throne in the temple, and he literally is almost driven crazy by it. And he's like, oh my gosh, I've been in the presence of God and I've seen him. Like, I'm in trouble because I, I'm a man of impure lips from a people of impure lips. And God, like, makes him clean so that he can be in his presence. Like, like and again, Isaiah and, and um, that would be in Kings, I think, um, where we see God in the temple. They sang about this. They talked about it. It was a huge deal that God's presence was in the temple. And then... Simeon is there, and God's presence is in the temple again, but it's not in the way folks expect. It's God's presence, like, in, in honestly, the most intimate way that he, he manifests. He shows up as one of us. 
This isn't a God who's far away and I have to like, you know, close my eyes and hope that he hears me. This is a God that I could walk up to and shake his hand. This is a God who when people disagree with him, they, they're able to like argue or hit him, right? Um, this is God, one of us. Um, it's a fulfillment in, in Job. There's a line where Job says uh, he's angry at God because he's suffering. And he's like, God, do you even have eyes? Can you see the way I see? And God answers it by showing up and having eyes. And so us now, when we stop and say, man, my life is hard. Man, I struggle with sin. Man, you know, I wish people wouldn't treat me this way. I wish things were better. I wish my health was better. I wish this was better. I wish that was better. And we say, God, where are you? Have you done this? We see God in the temple as one of us doing it. It's important because as we talk about God becoming a light to the nations, a light for us, he is because he's done it. All right. The song itself. I'm doing the slides a little different. If you like this style, let me know. People didn't like the way I was doing them before, and then I just did scripture. Now I'm trying this. So if you like this style, let me know. Luke 29 to 32. This is the first half of the song. He says, Now you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. We're going to hit pause here. Um, He picks up the baby and he says, hey, I'm done. (laughs) Right? Like he's in service to God until the day comes and he sees the Messiah. He knows he's going to live to see Jesus. Right? He knows he's going to live to see it. And so he picks up the baby and he says, you know what? I've been working hard all these years and I'm done because I've seen him. In fact, I'm holding him. Who would ever thought they'd get to hold God? Isn't that a crazy idea? Um, Possible references here. He could be talking about the fact that he's going to die before long because he's pretty old at this point. Um, It could be that his vigil of showing up in the temple and waiting for the Messiah is over. And it could mean he's just done with ministry. I'll tell you that this song in the early church, this song was used in funerals. As people gathered up and they said, your time here is over. The work you're doing is over. Mind you, not your life because you're going to live forever. We all will. But your time here is over. So this song was adopted as a funerary song. Um, This would be 30. For my eyes have seen your salvation. The way this is better translated is, my eyes have seen the instrument of your salvation. Why is that? Because um, Jesus is the means by which God saves us. Right? It's not just that Jesus shows up and, and Christmas happens because Christmas is important because of Easter. Right? Without Good Friday and Easter, Christmas is a day. It's a day when another man was born, another man lived his life, eventually another man died. Jesus shows up and he's the instrument of God's salvation because Jesus would live a perfect life. He would be executed in our place to take punishment for the bad things that Jeremy has done and Ross has done and all of the bad stuff I've done because it's a much bigger pile than most other people. Um, this is the instrument of it. He's literally holding the Lamb of God like, like God's sacrifice for us. And he says, My eyes have seen the instrument of your salvation. He goes on, A light of revelation to the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. The job the, Gen- or the, the Jews were supposed to have, what they were supposed to do, and we see it in the prophets, the Jews were supposed to go out and they were supposed to share God with the world. They were supposed to be an example of God, but they weren't good at it, right? And so Jesus shows up and he takes that role and he stands in that place and he shines as a light to the world. When people look to Jesus, 
they look to God's grace, God's forgiveness. I don't have to pay for my sins. They don't see what the Jews had to carry, right? The Hebrews. The Hebrews had to carry the law, meaning follow this rule, follow this rule, follow this rule, follow this rule, all perfectly or else God is going to squish you when the time comes, right? Anybody looking forward to that? Is that something we're singing about? Jesus shows up and they can look and say, this is a light for us because this is a pathway for me to know God. All I have to do, all I have to do is know him. All I have to do is follow him and I'm saved. It's not because I'm perfect or I'm good or anything. It's because I'm saved by Jesus for what he does for, by what he does for me. The other end of that, a glory to your people of Israel, your people Israel. Um, this is a, uh, an interesting one because like, this is the, this is the fulfillment of the Jewish religion. Everybody with me? Everything that the Jews believed, everything that happens in the Old Testament, it's a big shining arrow that points forward to Jesus. And so when he says, a glory to your people, Israel, what he's talking about is, he's talking about how when Jesus shows up, he finishes the job. He's sort of the exclamation point at the end of all of Judaism. And so when you go back and you read about the law, what you read isn't like this dead text. It's a story about Jesus before it ever happens. And that's, that's amazing. It's worth celebrating. Um, it stresses the, the universal nature. It means everybody can be saved, right? God's whole plan all along was that. The second half of this is set up here. Um, there's a second half to the song, um, and we'll get to that in a second. Um, but he sets it up here. And then a reference to Micah 4. Last week we talked about Micah 4 and 5, right? Um, and it was all of this stuff about the whole world coming to God the whole world coming to the mountain of Zion, the whole world learning how to follow God, everybody being welcome. And it, it talks about the salvation that comes along. This is like the same theme because, well, the story of Jesus is the story of everybody having the opportunity to be saved. Um, his father and his mother were amazed at the things that were being said about him. If you were mom and dad, wouldn't you be proud? Jess and I were talking about that this morning, right? We, we were talking about Titus and... And, and Titus is the cutest baby we've ever seen. Anybody ever said that about their kids? I feel bad for all of you because our kid is definitely the cutest one ever. Um, <laughs> but but we all like we all look for our kids to do great things. We're all proud of them. We all you know fawn over them. Mary and Joseph show up with their baby in the temple, and the first thing that happens is one of the prophets shows up and says, "Oh my gosh, this is it! <laughs> this is it!" I mean, they must have been beaming, right? They must have been, I mean, sure, angels came and talked to him, but it's, this is a whole nother step. I mean, on the day he was given his name, the prophets stepped up and they sang songs. And he hadn't even done anything yet. And Simon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel. Mind you, this is about to get tough, okay? This is the hard part. Um, and for a sign to be opposed, and a sword will pierce even your own soul, to the end that thoughts from ah, to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Um, Simon turns to them and he says, "Listen. First off, this child is appointed to the fall and to the rise of many in Israel. Um, this is a reference to Isaiah again. Why? Because Isaiah was like a great book, right?" What's the rise and the fall? He's talking about the stumbling blocks, right? 
Um, in Isaiah, I want to give you the reference in case you want to pen it down. I think some people might write stuff down. 8.14, Isaiah 8.14. Um, Isaiah talks about how the Messiah will come and he'll either be a sanctuary or a stumbling block. Meaning, Jesus shows up. Jesus is born. Jesus lives this life. He dies on the cross for our sins. He's resurrected to prove that God wins. And then all of us are stuck. We have to make this decision. He can be a sanctuary for us. We can be saved by it. We can stand there and say, even though I fail, I'm saved. Even though it feels like nobody cares, God loves me enough to send his own son to die for me. Even though, you know, that's a sanctuary. There's comfort. That's wonderful. The other end of that is that it means that Jesus has to be God, right? And it means that his claims about I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, meaning like Jesus is the way that we're saved, period, that's got to be true. It means that he gets to be in charge. Like we decide to let him be in charge of our lives or we do it on our own, right? That's a decision we have to make. And a lot of folks stumble over that. For the ancient Jews, they stumbled over it. Like, like it's one of the major points here. A lot of folks said, I can't believe that Jesus was who he said he was. I've talked to folks recently who've said, I can't believe in Jesus because if it's true, then what I'm doing is wrong, or I can't do whatever I want, or this isn't true, or that isn't true. Like, it becomes a stumbling block, and eventually everybody has to make this decision. And you can make it just by ignoring it, by the way. This decision that we're called to make is to be in the sanctuary or to stumble over him. And he says, listen, what's Isaiah 8.14, by the way, there? Um, He says, listen, this sword will pierce even your own heart. Some folks have come along and said this is a reference to the crucifixion. It's not. Um, It's actually a reference to um, a verse in Ezekiel, and actually it happened several times in Ezekiel, where it talks about a sword dividing the nation. And the sword literally is dividing people who choose to follow God or not follow God. When he says, Mary, this sword will pierce even your own heart, he's saying, by benefit of being Jesus' mom, you don't get a free pass. By benefit of being from the right family, by benefit by being good enough, everything else, this sword will pierce even your own heart. Meaning, you have to make a choice too. Everyone will. And ultimately, our hearts will be divined by the choice that we make, right? Will we live our lives accepting the gift of God in Christ or will we rebel against it? It's a choice we make. It's, it's not actually the easiest choice in the world because God demands a lot. He demands that we follow him. He demands that we live our lives like under his lordship, meaning like he's in charge, we're not, right? Um, it means that sometimes we've got to do things that are hard. Sometimes we don't get to do things we want to do. Like There's a lot to it, but it demands a choice. We have to say, which am I going to do? Um, As we kind of finish up, um, Simeon is literally announcing salvation. He's announcing that anyone who wants it can have it. Um, It's a message that some folks won't be able to do. There are folks in this room, folks that, that you know, folks that you love, folks who won't be able to do this. It's not easy. Um, And we'll all be divided according to our hearts. And what it comes down to is making a choice. Will I live the way, you know, will I live under God's lordship? Will I accept this gift he has for me? Will I walk away from it? My challenge to you today, I don't know, we don't have a last song, do we? Do we? I've been trying to figure it out the whole time. No, we don't. We're going to close in prayer today. My challenge to you today is to, is to ask yourself, like, what am I doing? 
Is this a gift I accept? Is this a gift I leave? You know, if, if I'm going to, you know, we talk about salvation. Salvation is awesome, isn't it? Salvation is great. Salvation is terrific. Not having to deal with my sins, knowing that God, like, forgives me, knowing that I'm saved. Like, all of this stuff is terrific. It is, but it demands a choice. Um, my challenge for you today is to ask yourself, and my challenge for you during Christmas is, is this a time that we sing songs and open boxes and throw away wrapping paper and it's over? Or is this a gift that changes us forever? Is this a gift that draws us into intimacy with God and into relationship with God? Or is it something I pitch when the season's over and we start on New Year's and make sure we get all our noisemakers and champagne? What does it mean to you? We're going to close in prayer, and, um, and I think we're going to eat cookies, maybe. Or some people are, if you brought your own. Um, <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be with us today. I, I pray that you would be with, with those who are here. Help us, to, help us to celebrate the great gift of, of Jesus, the, the wonderful blessing that it is to, to know you and to be forgiven for sin and for, for like just the, the monumental things you, you give us. Father God, I pray that you would uh, be with those of us here who, who need to know you and help them to, to choose that, that life, Lord. Help them to choose that, that way of being. Um, um, move in our hearts um, and help us to come under your lordship. In Christ's name, amen.